how long have you had your own uh, acupuncture practice? Uh, it's like, I kind of, uh, I've had my own, like in some capacity since graduating. So I finished acupuncture in 2015. And then I finished herbs in 2017. And I finished my doctor in 2019. And so the whole time I was in school, um, like after graduating acupuncture, I was still practicing acupuncture. I was just adding on herbs and then eventually just like the doctorate title. But um, I've always in some capacity been working for myself. Has it always been in the same location? Uh, I also did a community practice um, in the city. So I'm in Brooklyn. That's where my private practice is. And over those years, like varying different amounts of time, I would practice in my office. But um, I also did a community practice that I opened in a Buddhist outreach center in the city. Uh, and like I was there for a couple of years and, and that was pretty amazing as well. And I just, I really wanted acupuncture to be affordable to everyone, no matter what. How did you get something like that started? Um, it's kind of funny. Like, uh, there was a yoga studio I used to go to all the time, uh, in Williamsburg in Brooklyn. Uh, and then they closed and they created like the most lovely practice there. And when they closed, I followed them to the like, new location and they were, they were practicing um, at the Buddhist Outreach Center, which was called Three Jewels. Uh, and so like, I was like there, cause it's all run by like volunteers. And so I was like, oh, I'll go volunteer. I, I need some free labor to kind of like center myself. Cause I was in school and stressed and I was like, oh, just sitting at a desk and welcoming people sounds really fun. Um, so I did that and they're like, oh, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm an acupuncturist. And they're like, we should, we should set up a community thing. And I was like, I would love that. I was thinking that in the back of my mind that this would be like the perfect space for that. So it just kind of like came about organically. That's amazing. And was it just you doing acupuncture during that time? Uh, yeah, I mean, I was only there. We only did the community practice once a week. Um, and that once a week, like I just ran it and it was really good. It was really fun. I, um, I just want to make it affordable for people, but I wouldn't compromise on quality of care. So like the only compromise was that it was a little less private, but, um, still took like bounds to make it as private as possible. But that was like the compromise so that people still got really good quality treatment without, um, having to pay for private practice prices. That's seriously amazing. I've never, I've never really heard of anything in the realm of alternative medicine that ever gets taken to the community level. And I feel like that's so important. Yeah, there's a lot of um, community uh, acupuncture studios like everywhere. Um, highly recommend. I will have to find out if St. Louis has that. Oh, they definitely do. They're everywhere now. Like, I promise you, like, they're everywhere. Just just Google it, I guess. <laughs> I will definitely do that. Have you found that the people who you have been working with in the last couple months uh, since you started working again have, like, similar kind of issues or complaints in any way? Um, I mean, I'm seeing more, like, I've, I feel like in the acupuncture practice, you're always going to see people with like neck pain and back pain, but I'm definitely seeing more 
of a particularly like problem of neck pain and back pain because they're on the computer at home instead of on the computer at a desk. So mm-hmm. they'll be like sitting like on their couch or in their bed for hours doing work and it takes a physical like strain. Uh, so I feel like I've seen that more often. Um, I've seen some patients that are recovering from COVID and, and I don't mean active COVID uh, infections. I mean, like uh, they've had COVID for months, you know, like the COVID syndrome that's that some people are suffering with. And that's always, uh, you know, like a challenge, but um, it's, it's, it's like always, it's somewhat of a mixed bag of complaints. What's the most interesting thing that you've learned in working with people? Um, I think uh, something that really kind of drove home was that guilt is the least productive emotion ever. Um, Like focusing on failure and beating yourself up, um, it just doesn't leave any room for improvement. You know, like new lifestyle changes that people try to implement, like the second that guilt gets involved, they can't make any headway. Um, So I always try to like have people focus on making small changes and focusing on making more space um, in their life for that change to occur without actually focusing on that change, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Can you explain a little bit more about what you mean by space? Yeah, like um, say like you wanted to incorporate more yoga into your life, but you're so busy, you know, Um, trying to shove, you know, that yoga practice into your schedule when you're already so busy, it's just going to make it feel more stressful, you know, and you're going to you're setting yourself up for failure because your schedule doesn't have any space for yoga, you know? So it's like, well, don't start with yoga, start with creating that space, you know, like create that 15 minutes in the morning that you're going to do yoga or 15 minutes in the evening that you're going to, and like focus on creating those little moments and create that space. Or if you're going to do in your apartment, get that space ready, you know? Um, And even if you're not ready to like, start doing the yoga, just uh, get that space ready. And maybe like for those 15 minutes, like go sit there, Um, meditate or just be with yourself. Start by like making the small changes and eventually the big change actually happens. Um, So that's what I mean by making space. Like same thing with like diet or any other kind of uh, modification. Like you, you need to have that space in your life for that change to occur. That makes a lot of sense. And I've definitely done that to myself, particularly with yoga. So it's a funny. Yeah. Example. Yeah. No, people are always just like, you know, and then they have guilt because they're like, oh, I didn't do it. And it's like, well, that's not productive. Like, don't care that you didn't do it. You know, like just what, what can you do or, or better yet? Like I didn't do it. And then just ask yourself how, why, why, what's, what stopped me or what was in the way. And like, when you start focusing on what was the boundary instead of focusing on the fact that you didn't do it and you're such a bad person for not doing it, like it becomes a lot easier. Do you find that you get to walk people through a lot of these, the mental things 
behind their lifestyle um, even more than the, the physical things that you deal with? Yeah, I think a lot of my practice is uh, advice and really just like conversation, um, like lifestyle modifications, but like from conversation of like, where do they think they're going wrong? Um, but yeah, I always like, like to start there. And I like to also like examine the cycle that uh, illness creates, you know, so that they know how I'm supporting them but that they also like feel that they're in control and that they have to actually take responsibility, you know, like take, take like the initiative of actually taking control um, and that they are in control and that I'm going to support them through it. If that makes sense. Cause uh, at the end of the day, it's like 30 minutes of acupuncture isn't going to undo someone just kind of beating themselves up constantly, you know? So it's, it's, you know, it's me and it's them. Like they, they, we both work together to, to create healing. I like that you describe it as a cycle. Yeah. It's always a cycle. I mean, like, I think one of the easiest cycles is like, um, if you have someone with like low back pain and they're gaining weight or they have knee pain and they're gaining weight and they're coming to see you for weight loss, but like you also find out that they have knee pain and you're like, well, okay, if I help you with weight loss and we just do acupuncture points focused on um, weight loss, but you can't be physically active because of this pain that you're experiencing. Like, it, am I really making the best difference that I can, you know? Um, but if they hear that I'm going to do everything I can to ease the pain, but then they have to take the initiative of being a little bit more physically active, but I'm going to support them physically so that it's like more comfortable to be physically active. They get excited and they're also re-examining being physically active as well like trying to be like oh i'll be in less pain and it will be more fun um so now this relationship that they had with physical activity can change so it is a cycle um it's you know uh it's a lot of different things creating one horrible situation and so just interrupting that cycle can make a world of a difference yeah, I, I feel like that's what's missing from so much of modern medicine. It's like yeah. the full circle of it. Yeah, there's a focus on one part. And then there's like, you know, like berating patients if they're doing a bad job at something, you know, like seeing a diabetic patient and berating them for their diet and not acknowledging that there's a cycle there, you know? And, and um, I try to change that in my practice. I try to to examine, like, create awareness of that cycle and change that with my patients. Yeah, it sounds like the- you do it. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry, and take the guilt out of it. Like, no berating, no no care if they come in and they're like, oh, I didn't do that lifestyle, med- like, modification. I'm like, oh, I, you know, you didn't change my life, but, you know, you're affecting your own life, so let's let's keep working on it, <laughs> you know? Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to yell at a patient for not doing something. We all live very complex life. We're just going to examine it and look and and wonder why, why we couldn't make that change and see what we can do to fix it. You know? Yeah. It it sounds like you're really gentle about the way that you approach people, which I appreciate. I know some people want someone to just like berate them into doing something, but I just, um, you know, love them to death. (laughs) 
So how much of what you do do you think is intuitive uh, versus coming from a textbook? I think that's an interesting question. It's also a difficult question because that question makes it seem like they're separate. Um, I think we have to start by defining uh, intuition. Uh, intuition is, de is derived from both practice and knowledge. So through time and experience, we are better able to develop and utilize our intuition. And this definition means that everything in every field is based on intuition. And that's especially true in medicine. So you rely on intuition when knowledge falls short and you rely on knowledge when intuition falls short. And it's impossible to separate the two. And most practice is just the combination of those two perfectly woven together. Um, and at some point, you know, you're gonna, there's gonna be something falling short. You're gonna reach a limit where either your intuition falls short or the, the, the scope of knowledge falls short. Um, because like medicine, where it is today is not where it's gonna be in 50 years or a hundred years. Our, our understanding and our knowledge and our textbooks, uh, you know, they're based on this moment in time. Um, but what do you do when like your life is on the line and your quality of life is tremendously compromised? Like, what do you do? Like, you're just gonna listen to the textbook and the textbook is just gonna apologize. It's like, oh, maybe in 50 years we'll know the answer uh, to why you have cancer and how we can treat the cancer or this chronic illness that's affecting your life. Like then maybe then we'll know, but in 50 years, you won't be around um, and your life is hard now. And so what do you do? And that's when you rely on medicine because medicine is just trying to bridge that gap between today and our knowledge of today and knowledge of tomorrow. Um, and I'm not, I'm not saying just Chinese medicine. I'm, I'm saying medicine in general, like, uh, is that practice, is that practice based on intuition and based on knowledge and, and sorry, based on intuition as the definition of definition of practice and knowledge. Um, so in a, when you follow doctors, whether you reading Chinese and textbooks, like it's, it's if you're empirical knowledge. Um, and that's just, you're trying, they're, they're trying to translate other practitioners uh, advice from them being in practice for decades. Um, so yeah, it's impossible. I can't answer that question. At the end, I, I just, I call both. <laughs> uh, what do I do in the practice? I do, I do both quite a lot. Um, but I do intuition based on knowledge. That that makes a whole lot of sense. And yeah, yeah. I guess I wasn't necessarily trying to split them apart either. I was yeah, just wondering I if it was like a fifty-fifty. Or um, but I like I the way. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, I like the way you explain it as just being intertwined. Yeah, and and I think it's a good question, and I think people do. Uh, I I think want that magical understanding very intuitive you know but like and that it's just like this magical and spontaneous generation of knowledge or have like these answers you know beamed into your head from aliens in the sky or something and it's it's like you know like that's not what it is it's uh you're you're you know you're using your intuition you've been there before and you know what to do and you know how to help someone and you're picking up 
the finger on. Um, so it's it's like a, it's always a combination of both, you know. Uh, it was a good question. A lot of people, uh, um, I, I hear that word used differently often. So I, it was a good question. And I don't think you were trying to separate the two. People separate the two, you know. Yeah. I know whenever I hear about people doing energy work, I always wonder what that means. I think that was sort of why I wanted to ask you the question because you're a little bit closer to that than me. Yeah, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to talk to someone else as well about some of that. I I uh, I don't know. I, I don't practice Reiki. <laughs> okay, so you have no no idea either. We'll get someone else on here. I mean, we all like, um, you know, like I practice energy work in the sense that we work with, you know, a patient's energy, but um, I don't think that that's the language that our my medicine uses. And so um, I accidentally say something, you know, out of my scope. Okay. Well, thank you for being honest. Yeah. No problem saying when I'm not part of something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me either. I don't know, but I'll I'll get someone on here to to teach us all. What do you think is the most unique way about the way that you practice medicine? Style or technique that I rely on. Um, um I kind of huh. Oh, it doesn't have to be a style or technique. Um, it can be an attitude or. However yeah. you want to answer the question. So, so in acupuncture, sometimes there's like a particular style that a practitioner might use. Um, and they might be like extremely good at it. But uh, in my practice so far, I don't, I don't have a particular style or technique that I rely um, on. I like to like assess the patient in front of me. Um, and not just like who they, like who they are in front of me. So where they are that day, they need that day. Um, and then with them, I like to choose the approach for the treatment. And this is like hard to understand when you don't know acupuncture and you don't know, you know, um, all the different techniques, but you know, like I'll have so many patients in one day and with one, I'll be choosing like a very gentle kind of Japanese acupuncture approach. And with another patient, I'll be doing trigger point, which is much more aggressive. Um, and then I always like, you know, like sometimes that patient that wants that aggressive acupuncture and they respond to that aggressive acupuncture, they're having a particularly vulnerable day and they don't want that. And so I don't want to just force that on them, you know? Uh, so I like to, I like to just kind of assess continuously, consistently, and kind of also give the patient, um, the freedom to kind of be part of, of us choosing what approach will be and what kind of treatment they're there for that day. Um, I just think it's important to always kind of keep the ball in the patient's court so that they kind of start regaining having control. Um, so I feel like that's one of the ways that medicine is its way where we kind of feel like we're saving the patient. I, I don't like can you say that last part again? I think you cut out for a minute. Uh, I, I, a lot of medicine 
you feel like you're saving the patient patient and save them from this situation, make their pain go away or this and that. And I kind of, I want the patient to feel like I'm just there to serve them. I'm helping them get better. I'm helping their pain go away, but I'm helping them so that they can do the things that they need to do, if that makes sense. Like I want them to hold on to all of the control when it comes to their life, you know? Yeah, I like that. So it's more like a partnership. It's a partnership. Um, they're not, and I, and like, I always want that where like, and I'll say that to patients where I'm like, I don't want you to, to rely on me in the end of the day, even for something like pain. Like I want to teach you to be able to manage your own pain. And I want to get you to a point where you don't have this pain and you're cured. But also if you're like on vacation and you're sleeping on a bad pillow and then pain comes back, you know how to take care, you know? Um, And I think that my patients like that where they feel like they have some kind of control and some responsibility for their going on in them. Yeah. Do you find that you see people uh, just for one or like two sessions or do you see people for a long period of time? Uh, it really, it depends on the patient, you know? Uh, I, I, I'll see patients for like one or two times and then they'll disappear and I'm like, oh, I wonder if I help them. And then a year later they come back with something different and I'll be like, oh, did I help your pain? And they're like, oh yeah, it's gone. And I was like, oh, wow, that's good. Nice. <laughs> I actually, um, so sometimes it, it is that easy. Um, and other times I'm just in this constant like mechanic role of just kind of helping to kind of um, peel back the layers and keep changing the oil, basically, <laughs> like a mechanic, like just keeping someone running because um, the presentation is more complex, uh, you know, and, it, and that's that's more complicated. Um but yeah, no, it, it really just depends on the patient. It depends on the situation, um, depends on what they want. You know, like uh, I'll easily say like the more lifestyle modifications you do uh, and the more like herbal therapy, the, the less often you have to see me. And some people like that. And some people want more of a inclusive role, like want me kind of more hands-on and, and that's okay. And, you know, it just depends. <laughs> What uh, teachers or mentors inspired you to to learn acupuncture and to learn herbalism? Am I saying that right? Herbalism. Herbal. Uh, no, no, I don't think like it's herbalism. Uh, Chinese herbology. And so, uh, yeah, no. Uh, when it comes to like ideologies or schools of thought, I really like Taoist philosophy. Um. I like how it focuses on forgiveness and flexibility and being formless. Uh, And I find like all three of those uh, principles to be like really profound on a day-to-day level. You know, like you don't have to wait for a moment where you can practice those. You can practice those constantly. Um, Yeah, and, and I like to practice those ideas both in medicine, but also in my personal life, yeah. Um, do you have any teachers that you know right now who you like call on or look up to uh yeah uh, my favorite mentor in school was this like 
incredible acupuncturist, uh, Jason Ginsburg. Um, he was like a true Renaissance man. He just knows how to do everything. Uh, but he was profoundly wise um, and also very much emphasized knowledge as the root of, of um, everything. And so like, yeah, I guess shout out to Jason Ginsburg. <laughs> So outside of what you learned in school, what else do you think influences your style? I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> like, wow, outside of, I mean, what do you, I don't understand the question. <laughs> like any books that you read or experiences that you had in life? Um, I mean, I think it was really, beneficial to my studying acupuncture to get a lot of acupuncture and I like it's it's important to to be on the side of patient um you really that's the quickest way of learning to know exactly what to not do and to also kind of notice the things you really do like and you want to do um is by getting is is by experiencing what it's like to be on the other side, not in the white coat, but um, on the table. Uh, I think that that influenced me a lot. Not exactly when to bad mouth some treatments. Um, I've noticed that like, I think that that's that's what influenced my style in understanding that something that's really good for one patient is not very good for another patient even if they have the same exact symptom, um, that every person is an individual. Uh, and one of the things that we forget uh, sometimes as Chinese medicine practitioners is like a lot of our textbooks might contradict each other. Uh, and you, you know, like they'll say the right side is responsible for this. And then like a hundred years later, another textbook will be like the left side is responsible for that same thing. Uh, just like as a silly example. And um, the reason for it is that both are right. And it's like, well, how are they both right? And it's it's because they're both right for different people and also possibly at different times. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I think a lot of Chinese medicine is so much, there's so much to study because there's so much to think on because you can't just be like, this is what I believe and this is what I practice and this is my technique. It's like, well, if you would just, a different textbook would say that that one's wrong. And it's like, well, both are right. And, and in, in the same way, both are wrong, but they're right in a very real way and they're wrong in a very poetic way, I guess, if that makes sense. Uh, that doesn't make sense. It's hard to explain. <laughs> Did I do a bad job? No, I, th I, I understand what you're saying. Uh, I yeah. Th I think it sounds like the treatments are very much for the individual and it takes a lot of presence and a lot of awareness. Yeah, I think um, I think by the end of the day, I'm, I'm kind of like awareness exhausted where I'm like, oh, I like was picking up on so many different things and having so many complex thoughts to try to really assess the situation and to assess the patient that like, yeah, <laughs> that's absolutely right. It's, it, there's so much awareness. Um, it's one of the reasons that like my practice, I only see one patient at a time. Uh, 
I just because I want to give them my undivided attention um, and really be present in that moment. That makes a whole lot of sense to me. I, I don't know yeah. how anyone could see or pay attention to more than one person yeah. at a time. It's hard. I feel I feel bad sometimes for Western practitioners, um, especially like primary care practitioners. Like I've I've seen so many like Western uh, like practitioners that are just like, you know, like they're seeing 20 patients an hour and they only have five minutes to spend with the patient. And during those five minutes, they have to be like rattling off onto the computer with all the things that they have to do. And it's just like they they're emotionally burnt out. Um, and it's our healthcare system creating this like structure that's impossible for a practitioner to actually practice medicine. And, and so in my practice, because I get to choose the way I want to practice um, and set my own pace, like I just, I won't see more than one patient at a time. What do you believe are the components to true healing? Um, I think awareness, uh, I think lifestyle, I think forgiveness, but not in a hoaxy way, like in a, in a profound, deep, personal way, um, in a dash of good luck. What do you mean by forgiveness? I think, uh, you know, like on a, on a very individual level. Uh, we carry around traumas and those traumas are real. And uh, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter whether the person or people or circumstances that hurt us deserve forgiveness. Like it, it, it's never about that. I, I don't want to get into the ethical question of whether they deserve forgiveness. Um, it's more about forgiving them, forgiving whatever allows you to kind of get past it um, for yourself. Uh, it's just lightens the load. Um, and then as we go through life, you kind of like, as you forgive others around you, again, regardless of whether they deserve it, you kind of also kind of forgive yourself or, or have a more forgiving look on your own actions. Um, and it, and at the end, it, that that's what creates space for healing. Um, it's not even about, like, that's not the end. The end result isn't the forgiving. The, what the prize is at the end of the tunnel or whatever, end of the rainbow, the prize is not that you forgave them, but the prize is that you've created the space inside you where that was, that you can now fill with something else, with happiness, with light, with, you know, health. Um, so like, yeah, like take the load off your back. Um, it's, it's complicated. I don't want to sound hoaxy, but I think there's a reason that a lot of our spiritual, um, religious, you know, religious experiences have some kind of, uh, celebration around, you know, forgiveness or confession or something. Um, even when they get corrupted, uh, 
uh, I think there's a healing component to it, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I'm not. No, I'm, I'm I don't a, know if I did a good job explaining. <laughs> I think so. I mean, I'm a big believer of the concept of when you don't forgive somebody else, the only harm that ever causes is like to yourself. Yeah. And like, it's, it's sometimes hard because it's like, well, that person just definitely doesn't deserve my forgiveness. And it's just like, yeah, but you also don't deserve like hurting yourself because of this, you know? Right. Like they already hurt you. Like, let it stop with that. Like, don't hurt yourself on top of that, you know? Yeah, exactly. The letting go. Um, the letting go. Yeah. And like, it's, it's hard. And I think that the biggest thing that forgiveness of others teaches you is to just like forgive yourself. Like, just, you know, because I think we, we really are our, our own worst critic, you know? Um, and the, the, the mental awareness it takes to be able to forgive someone else creates enough mental awareness in yourself, at yourself, to be able to kind of like, also view your faults or view your mistakes and be like oh that it's okay it's I can now live past that you know that's a great tip and a really good way of thinking about it that makes it like very concrete right nothing like uh making this lovely emotion of forgiveness into a selfish act (laughs) I mean whatever whatever gets done yeah (laughs) yeah do you practice any like forgiveness rituals or techniques yourself? Anything in particular? Uh, not rituals or techniques. It's just something that I like find myself reminding myself. Um, yeah, I don't, it's not a particular. I know that uh, when I was in school and I was studying um, more Taoist philosophy and Buddhist philosophy, there's some really great techniques um, that we uh encountered and it was a one of them was like set an alarm in your phone at random times to go off like to go off like 20 times a day and every time it goes off like just write in a journal exactly what you were thinking at that moment exactly at that moment and then after a week or something look at what you were thinking and you you'll be surprised you'll be like you could be like oh I'm usually a really depressed person but then you like look at your journal and you're like wow it looks like what I actually am thinking most of the time or something is actually like really happy thoughts or something or like the opposite could be true and it's it's always quite informative to like just have that because you don't you don't realize the thoughts that go through your head more when you're not when you're not conscious of it you know when you're not controlling them um so there's like awareness practices um, and awareness practices in Buddhism and Taoism eventually kind of lead toward forgiveness practices. We kind of like might forgive your parents for not being there enough or something along those lines. And, um, you know, they're, they're profound and they're deep and there's like retreats if you need that. Um, but if you can't do that, you can do it on a small scale where you're just, uh, you know, like, you just find a way to, to incorporate that into a daily existence and, and see what fits for you, you know, like, some people like structure and like to be like, okay, every day, I'll sit down and think about this at that time. And other people like to just be like, oh, 
every time they're upset with someone, they, uh, they sit down and they analyze the situation and they see where and what can, what is forgivable and you can start small, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, depends. <laughs> Oh, I definitely want to try that. I've never done that before. I, I think I would have a difficult time carrying around a journal, but I, I would do it. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't have to be a big journal and you're literally like writing mini paragraphs, like mini paragraphs, because the goal is to just see what you've been doing with your mind for that second, you know? Um, yeah, and I guess you could do it with a phone. You, you can do it with your phone with, um yeah, you can do it with, like, take notes on your phone and, and you, if you're using, especially if you're using your phone to have the, you know, to have a timer go off at random times. Um, uh, when we were in class, we also did it with a partner where at random times our partner would text us, you know, like now, like they would just text us the word like now and like at that time you have to scribble down um, what you were thinking. So uh, there's some really great practices out there um I just don't follow any ritual at the moment what practices or rituals do you have going on whether it's like daily or weekly in your life uh I try to just keep it simple like sun salutations and sleep sleep is a practice I don't care if all of us have to sleep every (laughs) single day. I consider it to be a practice. This is my divine time. I like to go to bed at night and wake up in the morning. It's fantastic. I like that you brought that up because I think sleep can be very forgotten in our culture, which is so weird. It's so (laughs) forgotten. And you know what? Like, I, I can't tell you how often I've said to like an adult, I'm like, hi, so do you know how like we tell children to go to bed and we like give them a routine and they brush their teeth and they like take a shower and like they create, we create an environment for them to go to sleep in. But somehow after, after that, we like no longer, we forget with ourselves. We're like, oh, I don't understand. Why can't I sleep or why I'm not going to sleep or why I'm not passing out after like, you know, watching TV and eating snacks for like three hours, you know? And it's like, because that's not, we, we need to create the, the practice of sleep, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah, have like sleep hygiene, you know, like uh, brush our teeth, wash your face, you know, like put our comfy PJs on, hopefully we made the bed in the morning and get, get into our bed, like have that routine because you're telling your mind and your body that this is now relaxation time where they get to actually like turn off and relax, you know? not like continue stressing or anything (laughs) such an important reminder so if you had one piece of advice that you would like to give the world what would it be uh grade humanity on a learning curve you know like we all start life at a different level uh we all must live and we all must move forward but, uh, you know, sometimes we improve and sometimes we regress. Um, but forgiving each other and ourselves creates space for us to grow. And uh, we want to be better tomorrow. Like all of us want to be better tomorrow than we were today. So allow for that space to develop and exist both for, your, for yourself and for others. 
And uh, yeah, my favorite, my favorite phrase for that is just grade humanity on a learning curve. That's a really important thing to remember just when interacting with people on a daily basis. Yeah, yeah. Do you have a, a piece of advice that you would give your a younger version of yourself? Oh my God, sleep more while in school. <laughs> um, how young? You can tell me. Tell us. I don't know. That's so hard. What would I tell a younger version of myself? Um, school doesn't matter as much as we think it does. Knowledge matters. Knowledge always matters, but school doesn't matter as much as we think it does. So especially in like certain fields. Um, yeah. I guess just that. I learned that sooner, at least I learned that before college. In high school, I still had straight A's and in college, I was like, oh, A minus is fine. Cool. B plus, happy, super happy. <laughs> Read the textbook, learned the material, got some questions wrong on test. It's okay. <laughs> um, oh, and never start drinking coffee. Hmm. Yeah. Do you drink Probably coffee now? Uh, I rarely drink coffee now, but I feel like, uh, you know, I'm human. And uh, I feel like anyone that's ever drank coffee and enjoyed coffee, like on a, enjoyed it, like on a personal level, not on a, like, I like to stay awake, but on like, a, I really like the taste and the smell. You, no matter how little coffee you end up drinking, you're still kind of like an addict to coffee. You're like, oh, I miss that, you know? So I probably have like a dozen cups of coffee a year. Um, but I feel like I have to watch it because like otherwise it's going to get, I'm going to start drinking it too often. And it's so unhealthy for me. Hmm. Yeah. Coffee is this thing that uh, you know, like alcohol is fun because alcohol, you, uh, you enjoy drinking it and you enjoy after you drank it, but then you don't enjoy the next day. Coffee is kind of funny because coffee, you enjoy the taste and the smell, but you actually don't feel good while you're drinking it and you don't feel good immediately afterwards and you definitely don't feel good the next day. Um, we just convince ourselves that it's good. So I think, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's top. so interesting I wonder if it affects everybody differently too I think um I think some people are a lot more sensitive to it than others and I think the gradient of where we are sensitivity wise varies significantly um yeah. I don't think it's healthy in general uh but I do think that there's a lot of people that are a lot less sensitive to it. Um, but uh, I would say more often than not, if you have digestive issues, if you have sleep issues, and if you have any kind of anxiety issues, I would just start with coffee and see if just, just changing your relationship with coffee makes a difference, you know? 
Yeah, that's a good point. And our culture has no awareness of that at all. Yeah, yeah it's, it's such I, an I accepted mean, drug. Probably, I've, I've act, I 100% had more than one patient that like at least, uh, at least a dozen patients where like, they drank five cups of coffee a day and their chief issue was digestive issues and sleep and insomnia. And I'm just like, okay, can we just start with the coffee intake and uh, see if we lower the coffee intake? Maybe the sleep will get better. Um, and of course it did. <laughs> Uh, so yeah. Um, and these, these were smart people. These, these were quite educated, um, you know, very good at their jobs, uh, uh, very, you know, in control of their life people that just like, you just, you stop noticing a certain thing, you know, um, it's in your blind spot and you need someone else to point it out. Uh, but yeah, when it comes to anxiety, sleep or digestion, if there's an issue, I would start with coffee. (laughs) And I think uh, I think coffee used to be healthier. I think um, I think we've changed it. I think we've made it into something akin to to crack cocaine. You know, the way I we don't know. It. Is it the way we drink it, or is the recipe changed? I think the recipe has gotten more intense. You know, like you go to the grocery store and you can buy like this like crazy coffee that's like literally one cup is worth five cups or something. That's um, nuts. Yeah, we're like caffeine addicts these days, and uh, so yeah, I think I think the coffee itself has has been kind of modified to be more intense, um, but the quantity has also drastically changed. Um, a cup of coffee is six ounces. The fact that none of us are drinking six ounces of coffee is um, the first sign that our relationship with coffee has changed. Yeah, that's a good. The point. fact that like Starbucks doesn't even own like before they used to have a small size, but now their small size is actually what used to be their large. That shows that our relationship with coffee has changed, and I don't think that human like the human body has been able to catch up to what we've done to it socially. Sorry, <laughs> I didn't expect to go on my coffee tirade. No, I mean, that's good. I think it's so important to hear, especially from you, you spend so much time working with people and seeing how people are affected by by modern life. I think that's really important, important point to share. I think there's nothing in this world that's like fully, I won't say nothing, but I think most things aren't bad. You know, I don't think, um, I don't think a cup of coffee is going to kill you. I don't think a piece of pizza is something worth having guilt over. I think it's what we do on a day-to-day basis, you know? So like, if you had eight hours of sleep, it's a weekend, you have nothing to be stressed about. You're sitting at the, you know, kitchen table, enjoying a book and you want to sip a coffee, go for it. But if you're relying on coffee to get through a work day, you know, maybe we got to address what's actually going on and why you're having a hard time getting through the workday and why you're so stressed. Um, I think in general, we shouldn't rely on things. We should rely on our bodies being amazing and not try to force them into these situations, you know? Um, Because that's where illness comes up when we start kind of abusing our body with things that it can't handle. And so, yeah, yeah, but that's my advice. 
<laughs> coffee. It's like, don't rely on it because that's where, that's where the abuse starts, you know? That is so true with anything. Yeah. I, I fully agree. It's so much about the why and yeah. the how. And like, then you get to enjoy it more too. Like, do you really enjoy it when you're stressed out at the desk at work, just trying to wake up? Like you would enjoy being at that desk doing your work so much more if you like had eight hours of sleep and you kind of like turn the stress knob down a little bit you know what I mean and, yeah and coffee's turning the stress knob up like yeah work is stressful but coffee is gonna make that stress feel so much more intense it just is it it just what it does you know didn't realize we we're gonna start talking about coffee so much so sorry <laughs> it's all good uh what do you think is the most important thing that motivates you to show up at your job every day, motivated and excited to, to help people? I just want to help people. I don't think, uh, I, I, I am so excited when I hear people's lives have gotten better. You know, like at the end of the day, it's not, you know, like I, I, I can't say I cured anything or I like did anything like that. Like that's not something that I can say as an acupuncturist, but to make someone's life, their quality of life improve because their symptoms have either significantly decreased or have completely disappeared, regardless of whether or not quote unquote they're cured, but they like, they no longer suffering through their illness. Like that, that's, that's all I cared about, you know? Um, and that, that keeps that get there, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's so important for many people just to have somebody in their life that cares. Yeah. And like once, once all the best, especially from that kind of like third party outlook I think the third party outlook is really important one of the reasons you like you become friends with your patients because they need you in this position where you're there for them percent and they can fully find emotionally and physically and put it all in your brief period of time and feel that burden kind of like lift and if you're crossing that friend patient boundary too much, you know, you're, you're kind of compromising on their health, you know, like you're compromising on their healing. And so it's kind of selfish. If I like was like, Oh, I love this person. I'm become friends with them. It's like, Oh, I love this person. I really hope I keep helping them, you know, mm-hmm. um, so that I stay in my role so that they're there. They have this person in their life because you can't, you know, like, it's like, uh, it's like when you like have that friend or family member that like you treat like your therapist, like you're burdening that relationship. You need that distant relationship so that you can kind of unload and not kind of ruin your personal relationship, you know? Yeah, I, I think that's a really smart outlook. I know I've heard from people that do a variety of different kinds of healing work and 
uh, everyone kind of has their own own way of managing relationships or friendships uh, but I, I think that's really smart yeah I know I would have a really hard time even treating a friend or working with a friend I think I don't mind treating a friend because do, I do a really good job of putting my, um, you know, practitioner hat on, you know, um, and I, it also depends on the friend. Like some friends are really good in, uh, in that where they're able to understand that now we're in that role and other friends like, I don't know. Uh, I feel like sometimes I refer them out. I'm like, hey, you should go to this practitioner they're going to really help you you know because I, I see that I'm not giving them the best care that I can possibly give them because we're not able to form those roles as effectively um because at the end it's about their healing and you know if there's something that's compromising that you know it, it doesn't it, it's not helping you know yeah I would trust you with my healing. No. I would I would trust you with my healing too. I need healing. <laughs> we all need we all need the people that heal us. Yeah, on different levels. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything else that you want our listeners to know either about you or about the work that you do? Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, try acupuncture. Uh, needles aren't as scary. Uh, most people that get acupuncture don't like needles. Um, they just like pain relief or symptom relief um, or spiritual support. So uh, definitely something that's worth trying. And if you don't like one acupuncturist, go to another because everybody practices a little different. Just like if you don't like one doctor, go to another. That's the other advice. Always, if you don't like your doctor, go to another doctor. Doesn't matter if it's an acupuncturist. Doesn't matter if it's an actual Western practitioner. Just, uh, you know, um, you need to advocate for your own health. Thank you for that reminder. Yeah. And thank you so much for having this conversation and sharing more about about what you do. I know I learned a lot and I really appreciated hearing from you from such an insider perspective on all things health and healing. Yeah, thank you mindset. for having me. This was fun. <laughs> all right, everyone, we'll be back and next week with more archives for the aliens. We'll see you then.